Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Firstly, I'd like to say a huge thank you for all of your support for Insatiable, my debut novel. It's coming in February 2021 and will be available in an exclusive limited edition from Waterstones, which I know that a few of you have already pre-ordered. To paraphrase the sage Gemma Collins, I couldn't be happier if you'd given me a grand or a cup of tea. Thank you, you utter wonders. And uh, on the subject of sexy books, we've got a very, very special guest today. It's three women author, Lisa Tadeo. Lisa turns up on our guest bookshelves regularly and with good reason. She just won the Narrative Nonfiction Prize at the British Book Awards. And millions of us have been captivated by the stories of Sloane, Lena and Maggie and the way that Lisa has shone a light into the darkest corners of women's lives and the desire, pain and longing that haunts us all. We talked about writer's regret, Lucia Berlin, and using horror stories to manage our mental health. I wanted to ask you about Three Women, your book, which, um, you know, everybody, you know, loves and owns and has, certainly in the UK. And when we were recording our series of your book in the US, it was on every bookshelf and coffee table. And I was wondering whether you have had any books that you were aware of either growing up or more recently that you really responded to that had that power and had that many talking points? Yes I mean for me it's it's almost always fiction like The Lost Daughter by Elena Ferrante that's for me you know it's like the trilogy uh My Brilliant Friend etc those are the ones that are talked about and the ones that are kind of in the the sort of zeitgeist the the smaller ones the lost daughter and the days of abandonment and troubling love the books for me that that are on my bookshelf that were once part of the zeitgeist are usually older books I haven't had much time to read new books but there's plenty that you know I'm, I'm looking forward to reading what are you excited to read if I could give you a magical week off sort like you know I'll pause time for you and you've got a week to read anything you want I mean there's so many and like I'm looking around at all of the books that I, I either want to reread or read oh well the new Elena Ferrante is coming out in a couple of weeks so I want to read that I really you know I really like to escape not not to any in any way downplay its significance but I think an escapist book means a lot of different things for different people for me it's a book that I don't like have to read for work or I don't have to read um or I don't read in a sort of like clinical sense of oh I'm you know I'll read Lolita because I'm writing a first person book about about sex or whatever a book that has nothing to do with the kind of books that I write is uh, John Grisham's new book, Camino Wind. I love John Grisham. I also love him as a human being. I don't know him at all. I was uh, doing the Martha's Vineyard Book Festival with him and we were staying in the same hotel. And I was like a mile away from entering the hotel and he held the door open from like, like miles away and just waited there like the perfect Southern gentleman and then held the door and then I walked through and then that was it. I said, thank you. And he like, didn't even, you know, like obviously he would hold the door. And I just think that that was so, so for me that just, I was like, I'm going to read every book he's ever written now because I like who he is. So Camino wins. When did you first read Elena Ferrante? Because I think it's interesting the way 
books can be so zeitgeisty and you are the author of a incredibly zeitgeisty book this idea that reading is it can be so so fashionable as well as all the other things that reading is I think reading has become fashionable in the past couple of years you know since like Instagram's gotten so big um I don't know you know I've never really been a fashionable reader not because I not for any other reason other than I don't like I said I I read older books um I I am not aware enough I'm aware of books that are that are that are you know being published right now that are doing very well but Elena Fronte for example I became aware of her I, I was aware of her I was aware of the trilogy but I didn't I, I, some part of me is like you know, oh, everyone's reading that. I should probably wait and um, and read out these other things first, not because I don't want to be part of the conversation, but because reading to me is a little bit more of a personal thing. But I came to the smaller books, the smaller novels, by hearing about the bigger one. Because it is really off-putting. And I think the trouble with books is when, when someone loves something and is very passionate to be told... Yeah you'll love this. I can feel the rebel yeah. rise in me and say, how do you yeah. know that? And yeah, I can yeah. see why approaching those smaller novels, it's like, it's a way in the back door. It's, right, um, totally. That is a much more eloquent way of saying what I was trying to say. So thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You've, you've written what you've written about women who have such kind of discreet and vivid and powerful experiences, but you know, millions of women all over the world have responded and connected with those. But I definitely felt with the um, with the Neapolitan novels, quite stunned that millions and millions of people should love them so much because I thought, well, no, these are these are for me. Yeah, <laughs> in a very arrogant way. Totally. Yes, I felt that way as well, for sure. So, what about some of the older books? I'd love to hear about the books that really moved you when you were, you know, a younger reader, maybe in your teens or twenties. When I was like eight, nine, and ten, which is very bizarre, I um, I read a lot of Stephen King, if not, I think all of Stephen King that he had published by then. Uh, I don't know if that contributed to my having a um, depressive, anxious quality as I grew older, but uh, I read a lot of Stephen King. I read a lot of horror. Yeah, I liked horror and and murder as a young person. Uh, so I I had a lot of that as a as an influence. I think it's something that I have a lot of, and when I write fiction, I have a lot of like horror horror influence. So that probably comes from that. I I also read. Um, no, Stephen King and horror was really most of my teens. Is there and a particular, my... sorry to interrupt, is there a particular Stephen King novel that you've read the most or connected with the hardest? Yes, and I'm trying to think because I'm forgetting the name. Oh, is it Rose Matter? That, um, I loved Misery. Um, all of them. I mean, The Stand, even though it's incredibly creepy. There was also one that was a movie with Anthony Hopkins. So yeah, Rose Matter was its own its own book hearts in atlantis that's the one and i believe it was a trilogy um so that rose matter misery and the stand misery is i sort of forget that that's a horror because it, the... know, it's like psychological horror but it is it's it's crazy i mean that's one of the scariest ones because i feel like it's i don't know it's so um it's also, you know, I think, and obviously because it's written by a writer, but the the um, the parts about it that are the where he's uh, he's this writer who's talking to his editor and he's like selling out and doing whatever. And it's funny because you can obviously see that there's, you know, a writer's written it because he knows intimately. There's nothing worse, I think, than somebody writing about an industry that they don't understand and having like the, you know, the sort of the you can just tell from an, a perspective of somebody in the industry that you know that it's wrong and I think there's nothing less musical than that and it just puts me off right away I mean I've done that I've written about things I have no idea about and I I'm just as put off by myself but there's something about that that's really annoying and Stephen King doesn't do that as far as I know I wonder whether it's different as well because you're a journalist and you know perhaps more thorough than other novelists might be who you know you get to a point where like I can invent anything and <laughs> you know you would do the work and, and do the research 
Yeah, I mean, def yes, that's definitely something that I'm, I'm really afraid always in my fiction that something's not gonna ring true to someone. So I'm always really like nervous. Like if I use a, an occupation that I don't know anything about, I definitely research it as much as I can. Also, I, if I'm writing about a place, when I was a kid, and I wrote, I was always writing, but when I wrote as a kid, I used to, I had a novel that I wrote when I was like 12 about the rainforest in, um, in Africa, one of the rainforests. And I, I looked it up, but all we had back then was Encyclopedia Britannica. And so it was so, and when I look back at it now, and I don't have it, but I remember how detailed I was about the way that the plants, the plants, like I had the correct plant names, but I had no understanding of the place because I'd never been there. Um, I was just obsessed with rainforests, and I think it was after seeing Medicine Man with, um, with was that Anthony Hopkins also? <laughs> it just needs My reading comes from, I'm like, Silence of the Lambs is really good. Everything I read comes from an Anthony Hopkins movie, but um, no, but uh, yeah, anyway, so I'd never been to a rainforest, and I wrote this novel about rainforests, and so now what I've learned from that, that exercise in futility is that I go to a place. If I'm gonna write about a place, I'll go to it and I'll spend time so that I have the actual, you know, the knowledge, the sort of place knowledge. It's not about knowing what plants grow there, which is, you know, something I've always known from encyclopedias. <laughs> have you got any long form fiction that's coming up? Yes, my novel's coming out next. That's so exciting. Yeah, and my collection of short stories will follow that and then I'm working on another novel and another nonfiction right now. Who are your favorite writers of short stories? I love Lucia Berlin. Oh my god, uh, me too. Yeah. It's she's the best, right? It's it's and she's very little known, which is strange. Although I think there's gonna be a resurgence because of the the books that were recently published. Um she just wins me the economy of it because I do I get quite grumpy if I've got to read like a oh it's seven pages on a tree but her evocation of place yeah. is like no one oh. I've ever read totally and also I think the other thing that draws me to her which is the same thing that draws me to Grace Paley is there's like this kindness and generosity in not only her them as people but in what they write about it's almost like they don't have a they can see it they can see everything critically but without being critical in the negative connotation so uh, there's a kindness in there that whereas like joy williams who i love probably equally there is a there's a sort of end of days um like you know you w we are all damned you know you are all terrible people so am i <laughs> and you know it is sort of very it's there's a realism there that i really respect and i love and that's probably where my brain goes to most is the darkness probably because of the stephen king influence <laughs> but lucia berlin and grace paley i think have this sort of like joy and like even when stuff is bad they like are able to rise above it both personally and with their words so i could be wrong about who they were as people but that's that's the way i feel and it makes me feel um, makes me feel better reading that than Joy Williams, even though I'm reading Joy Williams, I feel like I've seen the ends of the earth. With the other two, I feel like I, there's more heart in the world than, than one would, than I would have guessed. But do you know, producer Dale is a huge Joy Williams fan and I have been, that's the book that I've been meaning to get to and I've not got to, so no. I will brace myself for, um, no. well, <laughs> I mean, yes, I think that, yeah, I think I'm right about that. Brace yourself. It is, it's very, there's just stories in there that are indelible in a, in a frightening way. Um, and for someone like me who already has all kinds of fears that I, I, you know, I have to try to swallow just to get through the day. Reading her is definitely not um, homeopathic or cathartic. Whereas I think the polar opposite is that of that would be like um, a William Trevor mm. who's like, so like everything is like, even if it's sad, it's like, look, this is sad, but you know, it's okay. I'm, it's, it's a rainy day out there. You can cuddle up with me and I'll tell you a, you know, a sad but warm story. And yeah, so I, I like switching between both poles. I always think William Trevor is the next best thing to if you can't find someone to read aloud to you, and I never yeah. can. It is, totally. you can hear it. That's really, that's a perfect way of putting it. Totally. Do you think that we're about to have a, a short story renaissance, or do you think they've never gone away? 
I, I don't know if there's going to be a renaissance here in this country. I don't know. I mean, maybe one day, but I definitely don't see it on the forecast, which is strange to me because I feel like in times like these, uh, you know, these rather dark, unsure, wild times, for me, it's always easier to pick up a book, a short story that has like, that only I need to dedicate between five and, you know, 20 pages or so. Sometimes 20 page stories, I'm like, oh, I can't get into that right now. Um, so for me, it's, uh, for me, I'm just shocked that it's not a bigger thing. I honestly think it's more about this culture. We haven't really, it's just not in the, in the public eye that much. And I think like once I've turned my friends on to short stories, then they get into it. I just think that there isn't that on a sort of mass level. And I also think that people think they don't make money. And I think the very reason people think they don't make money is because they don't publish them and they don't pay people enough to to publish them. I mean, back when, um, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway and stuff, they made their money off of short stories, like in magazines. They And that was how, like, it wasn't about articles, nonfiction. It was about, here's a short story I wrote, um, you know, Harper's or whatever is going to give me X amount. Now it's like totally the opposite. You like would pay to have your short story in Harper's or, you know. Well, that's so. thinking about writers writing about writing, lots of books about that in the early 20th century it's like oh you know they've got ten thousand dollars their story they can go and that's yeah. like ten thousand dollars in 1958 yeah. or something we can go bullfighting you know it's like now it's like oh i published a short story now i can get a cup of coffee that was i think someone said what was massively depressing about little women is that um when uh joe writes something and i think she gets a hundred dollars for it and she's like yeah um lots of places pay that now <laughs> Nothing has changed. Shocking. Shocking. I would love to ask you about um, sexy books, want a better expression. Um, (laughs) Maybe more in fiction, but are there any books that you read either growing up or more recently than that, where that you felt really, you know, went some way to being, you know, a believable description of sort of desire or, or even an unbelievable description? (laughs) <laughs> I think you things like lace and the fish and the all of that crazy stuff. <laughs> I I think that you know it's funny. Oh, I'll say Elena Ferrante again. I think that she the way she treats um, female desire is very very on point. I also think Natalia Ginsburg, specifically in the little um, not the little virtues, the dry heart. Uh, which I just read recently a couple of months or a year ago. Um, Male, you know, men, it's like, it's interesting because when I was younger, I used to always, I I thought I preferred male authors. I also think once again, just the way that people don't have access to short stories in terms of not knowing about them. I didn't really know enough about female writers before the internet. When I was a kid, I would see whatever my dad was reading. They were usually male writers. So I just was in my head that, you know, I was reading male writers more than female ones. So James Salter, though, I think does a really good job of um, capturing both sexu- both sides, both genders, sexuality, or just sexuality in general, like not necessarily male or female. Because um, that's the way I think that male men, male authors can do a better job if they're writing about sex if they're writing about sex in a very from up above point of view and not, you know, female or male. I do think Uh, that he really captures kind of the light and shade and the yearning, but also the futility of it, which I think is a heck of a feat. Barry Hanna, who's also predominantly a short story writer, wrote one sex scene that has, it's not, um, I don't remember what short story it is, I can look it up, but it's not incredibly... Um, the whole thing, it's not really sex. There's just one line that is about um, a man ejaculating inside of a woman. And it's told from the woman's point of view that is, it's it's very, it's like, at first you're like, oh my God, this is so male. And then you read it again and it's like, oh, I, I understand that though. I, I, it is rather female too. And I think it's difficult sometimes to agree with, um, with a man's uh, interpretation of the female sexual experience because you don't want to you want to go what do you know about the way that I feel but I think if if whoever the writer is if they're sort of tuned in enough to to humanity and to you know perhaps if you've 
ask someone a question after you've had an intimate encounter with them or years later, it's, I think it's interesting to be able to understand how that works. So I don't want to like sort of excoriate men who do that. I think it's more about judging it on a case by case basis. So let's say that, you know, the first time I read Nicholson Baker, House of Holes, I think, have you read Nicholson Baker? I know that book. You know, I don't find that sexy. It's, it was funny to read, but somebody told me it was so sexy and it's just not sexy. It's silly and it's well-written in its own way. I just don't think it's sexy. So for me, the sexy ones are the very quiet things, the quiet ones where it's more like they touch upon, they touch upon this feeling that makes you go, oh yeah. Um, and, and for me, that is, that's where it, that's where the sexiness lies. I mean, something that I think about often that troubles me deeply is, um, I'm not going to try and say it in French because I will embarrass both of us. Um, (laughs) Well, I don't speak French. I've been trying to learn, but I don't speak it. So feel free. I won't know how, if it's good or bad. Reading Dangerous Liaisons as a student. Uh La Liaison Dangereux. And the whole thing with Valmont (laughs) and Cecily. And her rape is written in that book in a way that I think is supposed to be erotic and as a you know a 20 year old I found it so but also I'm like it my response to this bothers me yeah I haven't read um I haven't read it so I haven't even seen the movie I need to as a matter of fact you know what I'm writing it down because there's so many books that when I'm talking to people about books who really love books I'm like oh I didn't read that um but you know what it's not got Anthony Hopkins in the movie so (laughs) (laughs) you might not like it it's amazing. You're right. Well, maybe he'll. Maybe we can see if he'll make something. We can maybe. Are like, you sure? Print it out. I'm like, <laughs> we'll tape him to the TV screen or the, the laptop screen, so he has like a cameo. <laughs> yes, that's a great idea. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to try reading it, whether he's in it or not, just because it sounds like I should. But I think that you know, people getting upset at other people for liking something or being turned on by something that is quote unquote wrong, I think is, is wrong. It is not a, a doing a service to, to literature. And I think there's exceptions to that. Cause now when I read Lolita, I feel, uh, I feel strange about it. I'm like, you know, cause there's a lot going on with Lolita that is completely, um, I just was reading it the other day and I was, I felt like it, it's one of the only books that I felt like I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have liked back when I first read it. And I feel really bad about that. Cause what you were just saying about a rape scene, look, feeling erotic or, or just even feeling like good literature and whatever. I think that that's okay. I think that it should, I think good literature should push boundaries and should also be, you know, naturalistic. And a lot of those things are part of, I don't think anything describing something that's not part of anything describing something that's part of the human experience should not be, you know, censored or, or spoken about or spoken ill of if it's fiction or even nonfiction. I mean, if it's happening, people don't want to hear things sometimes. They like push it away and like, oh, I don't, I don't want to know that that's happening. It's like, all right, but it's happening, you know, so you cannot want to hear about it. So you don't have to read it, but to get angry that it exists and somebody is, is describing it to me is strange. But for me, Lolita, I was looking at it and I was like, it just, some of the things that, some of the things that are written just feel, I don't know, for me specifically, they felt strange to me. Much as the way I remember, what, what show did I just, oh, I was reading to my daughter, uh, Eloise in Moscow. And it is like, it is shockingly xenophobic. And I was like, reading it and having a hard time and I'm like should I I feel like I shouldn't read this like not that look Eloise is fantastic I think that it's so you know it's just a lovely it's beautifully interestingly written the character is so well drawn and dynamic and um, my daughter loves it is obsessed with it but I'm looking at Eloise in Moscow and it just feels like they're just it's so it it is I don't know and at the same time I'm like well Am I just seeing it this way? Because we were, we are so primed right now to see any kind of, any sort of taking light with someone's, um, someone being different from us. Is it because we're so invested in, in keeping everything equal that I'm feeling strange about it? Or is it because it's just wrong? And I didn't know how I felt. And that was confusing to me. 
Um, but anyway, whether or not my feelings are correct or not, what I did notice was that it was shocking. And reading it is how I felt reading Nabokov um, in that sense. And, and I felt that, and I also felt, oh, Peter Pan. I was reading Peter Pan to my daughter, and I'm like, why the F does Peter get to have Tiger Lily and Wendy and Tinkerbell and all these women are like buzzing around him, you know, and he's just like being with whomever one he wants and there. And I was annoyed at the sexism of that. And I was like, should I be reading this to my daughter? Like, you know, some people are like, oh, we shouldn't tell our little girls that there's, you know, princesses and the point of a princess is to get the prince or whatever. So I get that, but even more brutal for me was Peter Pan. So perhaps I'm just insane, but I've been looking at books that I, liked as a child or as a young adult and I'm just like whoa how should I feel about this now because I think it's really really different isn't it reading something problematic in a novel as an adult you can you know enough about the world to take that on board or not however you want and feel the feelings and see it for what it is but when you're reading to a child or you're hearing a story for the first time as a child you know and that's the thing it's like so we should it's much along the same lines as we shouldn't you know judge the right and wrongs of of literature for me it's the same that's what is the issue for me I don't want to think oh I don't want to as a as a reader go oh this person has lived this and um you know that's why that's why it's real or if they have lived this then it's wrong to read this and this thing should not be it. There's so many questions around Lolita. Then I think because, because it's so well drawn because it's so, you know, it's, you're so inside of it. Um, you know, I don't know. I, there's a, there's a scene in my novel, which, and I hate saying there's a scene in my novel, but there is a scene in my novel, which is, um, which did not happen to me, but, um, but I, the feeling of it is real because it comes from something that is real, but I didn't experience that actual scene. So I wonder for him, if it's something similar, uh, you know, and I just wonder that, and perhaps it is, perhaps he observed somebody doing that, or perhaps it just came, but I think that, you know, and, and men have not just men, but men do have these desires, um, you know, that, that that they don't, that are not right, right? And what's, what, you know, what, what, what we should judge is not the feelings we have, but whether or not we act upon them. So, you know, did Nabokov take out his own feelings on his work so that he didn't act upon them? Are we judging him for having the thought to begin with? Are we judging him for something he probably never even had a thought about, but it's just an incredibly good writer, you know, or incredibly intuitive human being? I don't know. I have those questions. Literally, when I read that, I was just like, what is the right thing for me to be doing? Should I be questioning this at all? Should I be liking it? Should I, if I'm not questioning it, am I a terrible person? So anyway, yeah, I don't know what to think about Lolita. <laughs> if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Lisa shortly, but I want to tell you about my steal of the week. I Am Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite. Build is part memoir, part manifesto. This is a story about motherhood that I hadn't read and I needed to read. Candice's writing is addictive. Her voice is funny, clever, warm and completely compelling. And her story is about prejudice and preconception, race, womanhood, family, love and connection. She tells it so generously, wittily and honestly. I say this a lot, but this is a friend of a book. I didn't want to stop spending time with Candice and I started to miss her the moment I turned the last page. I Am Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite is published by Quercus and out now. Now back to Lisa. So are there any horror elements in your novel or is it just about uh, the... <laughs> no, there are. Um, yeah, it's, it's a car all... with a mind of its own. <laughs> it's all, um, it's not, uh, it's not supernatural horror, but it is horror. As a reader, is, is it the, the psychological horror that you find yourself the most drawn to? Or if it's well written, do you like elements of all? I like elements of everything. I do, I am drawn to... I am drawn to, when it comes to, when it's short stories, no, I'm drawn to literally anyone that's a good writer. When it, and I'm, that's true of anything that I read. I only want to read things that are well-written. Um, you know, books that have really great uh, twists and turns, I appreciate, but if they're not well-written, it's not gonna really hold my interest. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. For almost always, though, I would choose if I both if there were two writers, one that I loved and one that I didn't. I mean, one that both that I loved reading, I would probably go for the sort of horror thing more. But because in the past year or two, my anxiety and my everything has just gotten exponentially worse, I definitely have become more drawn to just the simple like love story, like normal people, etc. Because nothing bad is happening. I mean, bad stuff is happening, but nothing that's like earth shattering. It's stuff that people will probably get over. Did you see the, um, it's just been on TV here. Yes, I saw it. And, you know, I thought it was, there were a couple of things that I was a little bit upset about. Although I don't want to be one of those people who's like, you know, upset that something wasn't, wasn't sort of book faithful but um but yeah I thought it was fantastic I thought specifically that the earlier episodes the first two or or so that were set completely in high school were much they just spoke to me much more I just love that early love um love feeling of them but yeah because I guess I, as well, that did have the horror element with her relationship with her brother. I, I didn't understand the motivation of the brother so much. And I didn't understand her. Uh, it, it wasn't, it's not that it wasn't done well. I just was confused both times. I didn't really understand what, um, and I, I chalked that up to myself because I, I you know, I, I just didn't, other people have understood it. Um, completely. For me, I just was like, well, I had a lot of questions. What I found so compellingly horrific about it was he didn't really seem to have any motivation. And she was just always, it was the dread she had to live with. I'm aware, by the way, that you've um, mentioned um, anxiety. And I don't want to to not talk no. about that if you don't want to talk about that. Because I think it's, um, I mean, it's something I know that, you know, I have experienced, lots of listeners have experienced. And I can only imagine what it's like to have this book and have you and be in the public eye and I don't want to assume anything of your experience but from you know interviews that I've read it sounds like you feel a lot of responsibility towards the the women in your book do you think is it connected with this enormous amount of attention in quite a short space of time yes I mean I think that I mean quite frankly if I had known that it would have been widely read. I don't know if I would have written it. Um, it it's that's a hard thing to say because I think I know for Maggie it has um, it has provided her an enormous sense of closure. But for um, for the other two, uh, you know, the ones who were not who are anonymous, 
I don't, I don't know if I would have done it because I, I worry every day about their anonymity being um, uncovered. And so, yeah, I, I worry about it. It, it. It's not a source of my anxiety. My anxiety lives and breathes on its own. It's its own person in the room with me. So it's one of the facets of that person. But um, yes, it, it does give me a lot of, it gives me a lot of anxiety. Going back to Lita and Nabokov, that, and obviously he's, he is no longer still with us and that story is written a very 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 long time ago but I think what's changed in terms of how available authors are and the responsibility that they are expected to take for their work. I definitely didn't think that it was going to be like this when I I've always wanted to be a writer I, I thought that one of the reasons I wanted to be a writer was because I don't like to be around people <laughs> um, and so if I had known I didn't even know going into the final stages of this book um, that I was going to have to go on a tour. I mean, I didn't know that at all. I thought I would have, to, I thought I would, you know, be given the beautiful opportunity to give a couple of readings in bookstores, but I had no idea that it was going to be anything more than that. And perhaps that's totally naive and misinformed, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, part of me still is always like, well, I like talking to people like you. I like talking about books. I do not like sitting, standing on stages and sort of like, you know, like as though I am an important person is not what I was going in for when I started all this. So, you know, and having to have a presence on different levels of social media. It, and it's terrible because at the same time, I also want to engage with readers on a, like, I love it. I, I want to talk to readers. I just wish that there were I wish there was a less um, machinery behind it. You know, I wish there were more sort of, and I don't know how that would get done. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just know that it's not what I thought. It's not what I signed up for. I do think that publishing a book is the absolute opposite of writing one. And you are, you know, locked away for weeks and months and years. As oh, right. in, you know, being solitary or talking to other people and they're front and centre and you're, you know, observing and recording and then the suddenly you're like, oh, I, I thought this is everything I ever wanted and dreamed of, but it turns out it's the opposite. A hundred percent. And also, you know, I have a child. I'm, I'm set in my ways. If I were like 25 when this book came out and I had this sort of like, you know, people liking it and reading it, I'd probably be so happy. Um, not that I'm not happy and grateful, but I'd probably be like, oh, great, I can go to Australia. I'm so lucky. And I do feel lucky, but at the same time, it's not, I feel lucky for my 25-year-old self. Yeah, it's, it's just very, and also the other thing that is difficult now is that I'm working on a new novel and other things, and I cannot work on those things in, um, in a vacuum. And, and that's very difficult. So at least when I was working on three women, I was completely like, nobody even knew who I was. My friends didn't really believe I was writing a book. Um, and I had a, and I liked it that way. You know, I knew that I, you know, I knew I had a book contract. I knew the book was going to be published. Um, I had a book contract with a, you know, an established one of the major publishers. So I knew that it wasn't, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be like, you know, like whatever my friends, I think, thought that I was going to be publishing something that was stapled, you know, along the one side. <laughs> like a fanzine. <laughs> exactly. And, and I mean, and I was fine with that. I was happy about that. And now, um, now it's different. And it's, yeah, it makes me sad. It's definitely sad. Oh, I'm, I'm sad that it's sad. And <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, Daisy, what, uh, what I need to, I need to preface all that by saying I am an incredible, incredibly anxious scared human being so nothing I, I you know it's not just I, I just I, I don't like to fly I don't want to leave my daughter ever I don't I have fears about you know all kinds of death and destruction and the way that the world is going right now just is feeding it's like oh I was right all along kind of a thing um so that's who I am as a rule and so I you know, anything that, any positive that comes, I will, I will remold it into a negative and put it back out into the world and say, see, I told you so. 
<laughs> so I'm just insane. I do think with, you know, with these times and the pandemic and what's going on, you know, because I always think anxiety, it's, it's the what if disease, isn't it? It's living with the idea of being able to see and feel infinite possibilities. Yeah. Do you think that's connected in any way with what you do as a writer and having the imagination of a writer or do you think you could divorce the two and would you like to write anxiety free? I would like, I would give anything that I am able to do because of my anxiety, I would give it away in a second to be able to just look out the window and not have any fear. Um, I, it's funny because I was talking to my psychiatrist the other day and he told me that with great anxiety, you know, comes a, 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 an understanding of how, of other human beings and how to, to see things. Um, and, you know, I was trying, I was asking him a, a number of questions, a number of what ifs. And he said, I'm not, you know, at first for many, for many months, he's been very good about answering my what ifs. And now I knew it was over and that I would have to find the new psychiatrist when he said, I'm not going to engage with that. <laughs> next I'm gonna to have to find somebody who's gonna engage with me um and he said I'm not I mean I'm mostly kidding but he said I'm not gonna engage with this anymore when you have these feelings you should just go right because that is the only way you're not gonna get better um he's firm staunch believer in that the fact that I'm not going to get better uh, he actually said he has not met anybody with as much anxiety as me and he's been practicing for 30 years i feel like he should make you a badge or something or a crown uh, i know well it made me feel great you know like i have to say it was like the best i'd felt i marched out of my office and i said to my husband i am the worst he has ever seen <laughs> and my husband's like okay what does that do for me and i'm like i don't know but now we know we know that i'm bad um so yeah, I, I don't know. Yes, I think there's a huge correlation and um, I would give it up in an instant. Are there any characters in novels or writers who you think have a very perceptive understanding of issues like anxiety and issues around mental health or anyone you've read that's sort of been helpful or comforting? Oh, yes. Um, Grace Paley, oh, mental health wise. Um, I, Elena Franti, I'll say again, I think she's good at any single thing in the human, specifically female experience. Um, Natalia Ginsburg, I think, is really helpful. Um, but I mean, I feel like there's someone just the other day that I was thinking about was helpful with general anxiety. And I'm like looking at my bookshelf to try to figure it out. You know, there's not that many people uh, not that many writers who really do it for me in that regard. And I wonder if it's because I am so, um, you know, uh, this, there was a nonfiction book by someone, uh, by Scott Stossel, who used to be, I don't know, I think he's still there, but he used to be the editor-in-chief of the Atlantic magazine, Atlantic Monthly. And um, he wrote a book called The Age of Anxiety. He, you know, there was a, his, his the main thing in his in his book and his life is the fear of what's the polite way of putting it and endemia or something basically the fear the fear of throwing up in public and it's funny because i think he says he's i don't know if it never happened to him or it did once when he was a kid it, whatever it was it was not something that was happening to him um but it was this fear that it was going to happen and it was crippling to him it was crippling across the board and um, it was really helpful for me to see that because I was just like, oh, because, you know, at first I was like, I almost was like, oh, this is irrational, but you've never thrown up in front of anybody. Why? And I felt myself having these feelings that people have always said to me, like, that's irrational, that why would that happen? And having those feelings, I was then like, whoa, hold on. I was able to, it was, it was a twofold um, cathartic experience because on the one hand, I was able to see what people felt about me and understand it without getting upset that they didn't understand me. And then on the opposite, I was also like, oh, that is a, a quote unquote irrational fear. Um, and it's helpful for me to see that people have these fears that they have to still go through life. And I think that's one of the things that is really freeing about like David Foster Wallace. I'm sorry, that's the main one I should have. I always forget. He wrote an essay and obviously the way that his life ended is a testament to the fact that he was going through some serious stuff um 
he wrote a book, a story for Harper's called The Depressed Person. And it is just, oh, it is, I've felt those things um, so very much. And in particular, he's on the phone with his, with, I believe it's his therapist and then a friend maybe. And he keeps having to like, he's very, um, because he's such a brilliant writer and, and a feeler and a thinker, he's so cognizant of every juncture at how the other person must be perceiving him. And the idea that he can't really be depressed in a vacuum, that if he, he needs people, he needs someone on the other end of the phone so he doesn't do something to himself. At the same time, the other people have these lives that are happening um, and, and he's aware of their lives. And it, it's just so, the pain of being, of, of being in the side of that moment. And um, it's, so, it's so stark and, and amazing to, to see that someone else feels that way. And you know, here's a sort of corollary that's really depressing, you know, not in, a, in a conversation about depression, not something else that's depressing about it, is that a lot of things that make me feel good when I read them, like the Scott Stossel book, I'm like, okay, he's doing this. He has either um, done it and, and, um, and circumvented it, or, or he's still going through it and he's alive. With David Foster Wallace, what's terrible is I so very much um, aligned myself with that emotion. And then to know that he didn't, he wasn't able to, to get through it. And I think wasn't able is also a terribly reductive thing to say, because I've been to depths. I'm not certain if I've been to his depths. I think that all depths are different, but I understand how bad it can be. And to think that he isn't here anymore is um, is the opposite of of calming in that sense. But at the same time, the the extent to which he felt for me to go, oh, he would understand if he were here. I could call him up and say, hey, this is what I feel, and he would be like, oh, this is what I feel. And neither one of us would be worried about getting off the phone, you know, and worried about the other person having a life because we'd both be in the exact same desperate situation. So. Anyway, that was a long-winded, depressing answer to your question. It's a really great answer and a really interesting answer. But that, you know, that fear that how quickly what is irrational becomes rational, I think, is a really interesting area. And I do think that there is a tremendous value in whether they're being written about directly or whether they're being written about obliquely to talk about feelings and emotions and to revel in their messiness and not see them as sort of neat and fixable things so it's back to psychological horror yeah exactly I mean clearly I have a um, background in it (laughs) I wanted to ask other than Eloise are there any books that you're really excited to like to share with your daughter maybe when she's a little older or is she doing any independent reading yet yeah she's just started reading um by herself um you know not not very um difficult things but it is it's both heartening and sad to me because now she wakes up in the morning and she reads in her room which I love that she's doing but I'm also like she doesn't need me to do that anymore and there's a real particular heartbreak to that um but I'm really you know I really want to watch uh the princess bride with her and I want her to read the screenplay because I think it's one of the best written screenplays um, ever. It was William Goldman who passed away fairly recently and I just think he was probably the best screenwriter um, I can imagine. And um, what other books then? I mean, The Secret Garden. So yeah, I mean that, so Madeline Lengel, Wrinkle in Time and uh, Secret Garden. And I, I, we bought Harry Potter, like the illustrated version, and we've been trying that, but then it gave her nightmares. So I think we need to wait a little bit. So um, yes, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about The Princess Bride and just um, Anthony Hopkins is not even in it. (laughs) And I am so excited uh, to get there. Lisa, it's just been so wonderful talking to you. And thank you so much for your honesty and openness and amazing book choices um I'm so excited when so your novel's out next year next summer yeah I mean you know all things all things going you know if yes I yes right now it's the summer is it is there like a final 
um, like edit round or anything to come or is that now just in the out the world and... it's, it's in basically we're in the line edit stage because so. what I hate what I hated about my novel and I'm very glad to do it and I love my publishers and it's all good but it was like a zombie and every time I thought I'd got away from this thing it was like no <laughs> I know it's exact that's exactly right it, it is a zombie is a perfect way of putting it you know I don't mind but I prefer line editing to wholesale like you know something's not working in the third act and I'm just like what just tell me what's not working in the third act I will do whatever you say just stop telling me to go back to it so there's something with the line edit that's like all right I can but yes but what you just said is a hundred percent I forgot about that particular hell of it that it goes back and forth and then and then the the, the the copy edit after the line edit it's just like oh god you've just now I'm like I'm just gonna throw it out <laughs> huge thanks to lisa three women has just come out in paperback and if you haven't read it yet it will change you it helped me to understand and explore parts of my own experience that i hadn't dared to hold up to the light it shows just how powerful and subtle brilliant journalism can be and it's written with enormous amounts of wisdom and compassion i'm daisy buchanan and i've been your book inspector thank you so much for joining me your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find us on social media at Why Booked. I'll see you next time, but for now, I leave you with this writing advice from Henry Miller. Keep human. See people. Go places. Drink if you feel like it. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.